Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. One of the greatest things about coming to speak on a Sunday is when the worship and the Word of God is in parallel to what you're going to say. And today we're going to talk about what will harvest time look like in Market Harborough. You know, we hear so much about harvest, we've heard so much about harvest time at the moment, and as Christians we can be very guilty of getting into buzzwords. We use words like harvest time, redemption, salvation, and we don't always know what those words mean. And harvest time is the process of gathering a ripe crop from the fields. And I remember many years ago in my traditional church days, we used to have a harvest festival. And you go into church on a Sunday and the altar would be covered in huge marrows massive pumpkins, potatoes that were absolutely perfect and carrots with the foliage on. And this was in a day when when you bought a bag of spuds, they were covered in mud. And it was like every, every fruit and everything had been polished and there was absolutely nothing wrong with any of them. And I remember many years later going to a harvest festival at one of the boys' schools. And I remember walking in And there was tins of beans, packets of cereal, and even a cup of soup. (laughs) And it just didn't seem the same to me. But you know, the essence is, is that bringing the best, it, it is about bringing the best to God in the harvest. But God has called all men to bring in the harvest. So whether you feel this morning that you're a cup of soup, or a shiny pumpkin, it doesn't matter, because God has called you to draw in the harvest. And transversely, God is calling all men into the harvest, whether they look shiny and perfect, or whether they are a battered box of cereal, God's calling everybody into the harvest. So there's no, there's no get out. God wants everybody working in the harvest and he wants everybody reaped in the harvest. We all have a purpose in this task and it applies to everybody. So what will it actually look like? Well, whilst I was on holiday, I started to read the book of Matthew and I only got as far as chapter 11. And this morning my reading will be from Matthew chapter 4 to Matthew chapter 11. Now you'll be happy to know I'm not going to read all of it, but I will be bobbing in and out of it as through the morning. So if we'd like to turn to Matthew chapter 4 verse 17. So Matthew 4:17 says, "And from then on Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and return to God for the kingdom of heaven is near." Now we often have the misconception that harvest time is all about crying repent. And yes, there needs to be repentance. However, 
what I see in there is that that statement, the kingdom of God is near. And there's a demonstration of the harvest and the fulfillment of the harvest. Repentance, I believe, is the gathering. But the demonstration of the kingdom of God, I believe, is the ripening. It's bringing to fulfillment repentance. I believe that that is the demonstration and that the ripening is the key to harvest. And Jesus demonstrates this in the early chapters. So in Matthew, if we pop down to Matthew 4.23, and in some of your Bibles it will say, crowds follow Jesus. So starting at 4.23, it says, Jesus travelled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News spread about him as far as Syria, and people soon began to bring to him all who were sick, and whatever their sickness or disease, or even if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralysed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. And you know, when we, you, move in the power of God, crowds will follow us. News will spread. I have never watched Strictly Come Dancing, but I know all about the kiss, because news spreads. It spread as far as Syria, which from Galilee is about 300 miles. So 300 miles from Market Harbour is Paris, Armagh, the Sicily Isles, or Dumfries. And that is with media and social media and Twitter and Facebook. But in those days, there was nothing. There was a letter or a carrier pigeon, and that was about it. And the things that Jesus was doing, people knew about 300 miles away, which is incredible. Incredible. And it says there that he healed them all. And I know some people struggle with what I'm about to say. And I was so blessed with Ben sharing. But God will heal them all. God will heal them all. Whatever it is, he will heal it. I've seen people healed. I've seen people not healed. I've seen people provided for. I've seen people not provided for. But the word of God is the final line. Okay? So he healed them all. And that is my stance. That is where I stand. I might not see that, but that is the word of God. And that is the position that I take. And he will we'll come back to the whole demonstration thing. But first of all, I want to look at the speech that Jesus said. I want, to think, I want us to look at what he actually said that brings in the harvest. Now, the things that Jesus said were very radical for the time. And despite the fact that the Gospels were written over 2,000 years ago, they're still very radical, the things he said. And we need to understand that our language and the things that we say will affect folk. We speak a divine language. We speak a divine language of the kingdom. And I'm not talking about speaking in tongues. Because the things we say are different the way the world speaks. We don't pollute, don't pollute your kingdom language with swearing or coarse jesting or sexual banter because we speak the language of the kingdom. And you know, I've, I've, I've spoken to people and, who say they're Christians and they, they swear. 
And I think to myself, that cannot be. You know, it's not that we want to fit in with the culture of the time, because we are a different culture. But our language is so, so important. I was in a situation the other day at work, and there was a bit of a catastrophe, and everybody looked at me and said, Stephen, a swear word would be appropriate now. And I said, no, a swear word isn't appropriate. We need to solve the problem. Um, the world speaks about death and destruction, but we speak the words of eternal life. Um, Simon Peter said to the Lord, Lord, to whom would we go? You give words that give eternal life. And people notice the way we speak. Let's look at Matthew 5.11. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. I would say this, if you don't have persecutors, then you're doing it wrong. If you don't have persecutors, you are doing it wrong. Because the things that you say will affect people. And when people see us being triumphant and faithful and strong in adversity, that will have an effect on people's lives. They will see something of the kingdom in you. Matthew 5.21, he goes on to say, You've, you have heard that your ancestors were told you must not murder, and if you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, then you are subject to judgment. And if you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. You know, everyone in this world is out for justice, aren't they? There's this compensation culture. Everyone's got to stand up for the rights. And I'm not saying that, you know, we should be doormats. But we need to be those who are compassionate and not angry. The other day I, I, I made a phone call to I made a phone call to Scottish Widows and I'd done something with my pension and, and they got it wrong. And I rang them up and I just said, you know, you've done this wrong and this, 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 this. And within 48 hours they sent me a cheque for £75 as compensation. And I'd not even asked. So I said, thank you very much. <laughs> but... In the world today, there's this like, everyone's like out for justice and I've got my rights and all this, that and the other. But people just want to see the compassion of God. Matthew 5, 27. You've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in her heart. We live in a world surrounded by sexual temptation that's literally forced upon us every hour. <coughs> And people want to see our purity. They need to see our purity. You know, we mustn't get involved in the office banter. There's times when we should just walk away. We need to protect our eyes and our ears. And the world needs to see that we have a love and respect for our spouses. That we see marriage as something that God has ordained. Because he did. It's a God-ordained thing. And we mustn't get caught up in jokes about marriage and demeaning marriage and saying well marriage is this and marriage is that people need to see that our marriages are something that reflect the kingdom of God which they do you've heard that you've heard 
sorry, Matthew 5.43, I'm just zooming through it. You've heard the law say, love your neighbor and pray, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And in that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. You know, if something's coming against you, pray for them, because God will turn that situation around. Pray for those who persecute you, because God will change it. Don't store up, tre- uh, Matthew uh, 6.19, don't store up treasures on earth where moth eats them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasure in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be generous in everything that you do and be generous with everything. Don't hold back anything from anybody. You know, when you give things to people in the world, you'd think you're giving them a million dollars. You really would. They're just amazed. And Jesus goes on saying, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For you'll hate one and love the other and you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The world is controlled by money and wealth. And we need to have a good confession about money and wealth. You know, we need to be, we need to understand that God doesn't want us all to drive around in Rolls Royces. He doesn't all want us to live in 50 bedroom mansions. But he wants to provide for us in every way. He wants us to abound in every good thing that we'll always have enough for ourselves and any emergency and to bless somebody if they need it. That is what, that's the prosperity message. Finished. Okay. That's what Christian prosperity is. It's not having the biggest and the massive and the biggest and the greatest. And we need to be those who know what it is to know the provision of God in our lives and not to be those who plead poverty, that God is for us, knowing that he will provide. People pick this up when you're with them. And they think, what is this kingdom? What is it? They don't say that, but they say, what's this thing they're part of? They're different people. You see, God is for us and all those that he's calling to himself in Market Harbour. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is, is like a wise person who builds his house upon a solid rock. The rain comes in torrents, the floodwaters rise, the winds beat against that house, and it won't collapse because it's built on a bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And you see, the only true foundation in our lives is Jesus. And that is what we're telling people in our harvest. People are seeing that we have a foundation in our lives. So in Matthew 7.28, it says this, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were amazed at his teachings. He taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of the religious law. And I want to really emphasize today that we don't fully understand the power of our confession of our words to those around us. And we need to understand that. We talk differently to everybody else because we have the words of eternal life on our lips. You know, in all that we say and all that we show and express, we are are expressing the love and the strategies and the life of God in the things that we say because we carry the words of eternal life. 
And we mustn't take that for granted. We really mustn't. We can become blasé about it sometimes and say, well, it's just where we are. But it isn't because we need to live by them and we demonstrate them. We need to talk about them and we need to challenge words that come to us that are not in line with his, with his word. We need to walk the talk and not talk the walk. And then we get on to healing. Then things really start to hot up. <laughs> So in Matthew 8, verse 1, it says, that probably in your Bible, it says, Jesus heals a man with leprosy. Large crowds followed Jesus. And as he came down from the, mount- as he came down from the mountainside, suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Large crowds again, following Jesus. You know, we need to be ready for the suddenlies. You know, we pray and say, Lord, use us in this town, use us in this situation. And suddenly something happens and we go, what was that all about? We need to be ready for the suddenly. You know, there's a, one, a man said to me once, there's three types of people in the world. There's those that watch things happen. There's those that make things happen. And there's those that wonder what happened. And we mustn't be like the last. We must be people who are ready for the suddenly. Be prepared, be expectant. Be ready to reach out because God is willing. Then in Matthew 8, 14, Jesus goes to Peter's house and Peter's mother-in-law was sick in bed with high fever. But when Jesus touched her hand, the fever left her. She got up and he prepared, she prepared a meal for him. And that evening, many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. He cast out the evil spirits with a simple command and he healed all the sick. The fulfillment of the word of the Lord through the prophesied eye said, He took our sicknesses and he removed our diseases. And I've put here in my notes, I've put, did he actually go for a meal? Did he go for a meal and found out the chef was ill and prayed for the chef and the chef was healed? But you know, I think for that, that verse says to me, we need to say this more often to people, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? Do you know, when I've said that to people, I've never had a negative response. People have always been very positive about people saying, can I pray for you? It's not a private matter. People come to me at work and say, I know it's a private matter, but could I just ask you a question about, you know, this religion? It isn't a private matter. It's an open matter because we need to bring Christ into everyday, everyday situations in our lives. We need to be able to talk freely about him. And you'll be surprised how positive the response is. It isn't negative because there's a crying world out there. They may look like a lovely shiny marrow with every little blemish polished out, but underneath they may be as rotten as anything. Matthew 8, 23, Jesus calms the storm. And Jesus got into a boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly, a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. 
But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, shouting, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Jesus responded, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. And then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and suddenly there was great calm. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man, they asked. Even the winds and the waves obey him. You know, some of us live and currently live in the midst of a storm. And Jesus was asleep in the midst of that storm. It wasn't that he didn't care, but he was at rest. He was at peace. And some of you are going to be storm calmers in people's lives. Lord, save us, they cried. We are the people of peace. We bring the peace of God into situations. And people are going to see that in your life. We are the storm calmers. Hallelujah. Then in Matthew 9... So there's all, just let me pause there. There's all these different situations, but just imagine this. Jesus is just walking around, doing good, saying these things, praying for these people, jumping on boats, calming storms. Just everyday life for Jesus. It's just amazing, isn't it? And it's having a really big effect. Jesus calls Matthew. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booths. Follow me and be my disciples, he said Jesus said to him, Matthew got up and followed him. There's a whole message there, but I can't. You know. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as a dinner guest, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does the teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And then he added, now go and learn the meaning of the scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call, not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. God is calling everybody in Market Harbour, even the scum. I don't know who they are. You know, we're not here just to attract other believers. It's great that people join us and they capture our vision and they want to see revival in this town. But we are not here just to grow greener grass for other saints. We want to see people coming into the kingdom to be saved from eternal damnation. That's, that's the bottom line, folks. Okay? We want to see people come to Christ and come into the fullness of all that Christ has for them. And so... Deborah Lyne, a long time ago, brought a word about wild flowers. You know, we need some wild flowers in this church. We need to see people saved from whatever they're in and come to know the knowledge of the truth. You know, so for some of us, that might be uncomfortable. Well, God calls everybody to the knowledge of the truth. Everybody to the knowledge of the truth. Let's have a look at another story, Matthew 9, 18. As Jesus was saying this, the leaders of the synagogue came and knelt before him. My daughter has just died, he said, but you can bring her back to life again if you just come and lay your hands on her. So Jesus said, 
So Jesus' disciples got up and went with him. And just then, a woman who had suffered from, for 12 years from constant bleeding came up behind him. She touched the fringe of his robe, for she thought, if I can just touch him, I will be healed. Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was healed at that moment. Then Jesus arrived at the official's home, and he saw the noisy crowd, heard the funeral music. Get out, he told them. The girl isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him. And after the crowd was put outside, however, Jesus went in, took the girl by the hand, and she stood up. And the report of this miracle spread throughout the entire countryside. There's a couple of really good phrases there. But you can bring her back to life again. You've only got to touch her. And the lady who pushed through the crowds, Julian shared earlier, if I can just touch him. My vision is that we have the reputation of life in this town. Imagine it, somebody on, Saturday, on Friday goes to the doctors and they're told that they've got a terminal illness. And, they've had, and last Christmas they had a flyer through the door and they thought, if I go there, I could be healed because I've heard that they lay hands on the sick and they get healed. Come on, I know some of you are struggling with that. That's, what Je- that's exactly what Jesus was doing. Some of you are really finding that really hard to accept. But that is who we are. We have a reputation of life. I remember, Julian will probably correct me on this, but Kerry, Kerry did a doctorate in the study of AIDS, didn't he? When AIDS was really you know, the big thing in the 80s. And Kerry said, he said, I pray, said, that I'm not the first person to lay hands on somebody and heal them of AIDS. Because he said, thousands would come to my door. Imagine that. So imagine that there's somebody high profile in this town who was really sick, dying, and somebody in this church, not me or Phil, Somebody in this church who was filled with the same Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead healed them. Imagine that. It go further than Syria, further than 300 miles. <laughs> I, can hear the, I can hear all the wheels turning at the minute. In Matthew 9.33, it says this, Jesus travelled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And then when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who, who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the field. I said this at the prayer meeting on Wednesday, but the need just in Market Harbour is vast. You know, we've got moral decline, drug abuse, reliance on medication, alcohol abuse, people who 
need a tablet every night to go to sleep, fear, depression, gender confusion, divorce, political problems that dominate people's minds. But God. God is interested in people like that. He really is. Because the total answer is in the person of Jesus Christ. Because when God moves by his spirit, nothing is impossible. (laughs) You see, the harvest is vast and it goes to the uttermost parts of the world. And I often hear people say, well, I've got nobody to talk to. It's like the harvest feels like some barren wasteland, you know, with a bit of that twizzly stuff blowing across in the wind. But the harvest field is the world. And we interact with the harvest field every day in our lives. And we have a tremendous message to speak and to demonstrate of righteousness, peace and joy. So who are these labourers? Well, I'll do some Christian work, you know. Well, that's not a labourer. Or I'll probably have a gap year, go to theology college, bags of time to read biblical books and church history. No, they're not labourers. Become a minister. No, he's not a labourer. Everybody's a labourer. Parents who labour for Christ. Shop workers who labour for Christ. Factory workers who labour for Christ. Office workers who labour for Christ. Those retired from work who labour for Christ. Elders and deacons who labour for Christ. Pensioners, teenagers, children alike, all labouring for Christ. Can that really mean me? Well, let me read, in closing, let me read you three scriptures. In Acts 10, 38, it says this. You know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then Jesus went around doing good, healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, because God was with him. When he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power, he went around doing good, healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. Now let me just read you this in Acts 1.8. When you receive power from the Holy Spirit, so let me just say it again. When you receive power from the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, through Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, even Market Harbour. And then in Romans 8, 11, it says, the Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit that is living in you. The same Spirit. (laughs) It's easy, isn't it? And in John 14, 12, it says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to the Father. I'm excited about this. I'm preaching to myself at the minute. Even greater works. So yes, it does mean you. One of my favourite scriptures, well they're all favourite, but one of my favourite scriptures in all the Bible is when John the Baptist is in prison and he sends out his disciple 
to Jesus. And I'm reading from Matthew 11, uh, verse 2, and it says, John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for somebody else? And Jesus told him, told them, go back to John and tell him that you have he- what you've heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away from me. That's what harvest looks like. That is what harvest looks like. The blind see, the lame walk, diseases are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the gospel is preached to the unsaved. That's what harvest time looks like. Hallelujah. So, that's the challenge. We need to be ready. Now, let me just encourage you. You might not raise somebody from the dead next week. You might not raise, heal somebody from cancer. You might not, I don't know, you might not lead 50 people to the Lord next week. But we need to start somewhere. We need to have an attitude in our hearts that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells within us. And even greater things that he, that he did, we will do. We will do. And once that starts to happen, once something just is a trigger point, then revival will come. Because God will move by his spirit. Because we are his hands and his feet. And we've got to do it, folks. Jesus is not going to come here and do it for us. Because we are those who are filled with his spirit and with his power. So be encouraged, but be stirred. Be challenged. And remember that the things that you say and the things that you do will have an impact on those around you. Let's just stand in his presence. Father, I thank you that you have called us to be the hands and feet of Jesus, that you have filled us with the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead the same mighty, powerful spirit. And Lord, our prayer today is that you would stir our hearts, that you would fill us afresh, that you would give us a vision, that Lord, as we spend this time in your word, reading those scriptures, that we would see ourselves in that situation. We would see ourselves going around, doing good, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we just commit this to you. We thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for this town in this generation. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.